This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 190 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State took their first loss of the season last Saturday night when Troy bested them at Center Park Stadium. We'll take a look at the game and also sum up our thoughts on the Panthers' 4-1 start to 2023. And we'll also bounce around the rest of the Sunbelt in our Sunbelt Roundup segment. But first, let's talk about this Troy game. It was a 28-7 loss that ended the Panthers' perfect start to 2023. In the first half of this one, one touchdown was greater than two field goals, and Georgia State led 7-6 at the break. But three turnovers on the night, two inside the 15-yard line, were enough to quash the Panthers' chances of winning their first Sun Belt home game. Troy scored on the first possession of the second half and held the lead from there, outscoring Georgia State 22 to nothing in the final 30 minutes. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this Troy game? I mean, I think because of the 4-0 start and, like, we had talked about this team being on the trajectory of like every game, you're going to continue to set the records. Whenever the air got let out of the balloon, it was going to be a disappointment. I think what's going to be even more disappointing about this game is that they had it in their hands. Like it wasn't a game they controlled. I think even though they led at the break, Troy was probably on balance, the better team. It was just the Georgia state finished with a touchdown on the, the one good drive to put together and Troy got held up short of the red zone. But even in the second half, you know, it was 13 to 7 after the first drive for Troy. Um, Darren Granger throws his second pick of the game, and both of them were pretty bad. But this one, he just underthrew it by 5, 10 yards. It was an easy pick for the linebacker. Troy has it set up first and 10 on the 25 of Georgia State. The defense doesn't allow first down, and then Troy misses the field goal. So you're now like halfway through the third quarter, maybe a little bit more than halfway. And it's still a six-point game. And despite like the most cardinal sin of turnovers, an underthrow, you know, right to a defender in plus territory, Georgia State still gets another touchdown. Even if they were still kind of the worst team, they could have still been leading. Uh, but it was just a night of not taking advantage of any of uh, the opportunities they were granted in Troy. Doing what Georgia State has done through the first part of the season and taking advantage of the mistakes Georgia State made. And... Uh, piling on at the end with the final touchdown that I feel like maybe I felt like 21-7 was probably a fair score because of the two red zone scores Georgia State missed on, but Troy to win the rights, um, you know, go out and get that last one, six seconds on the clock to make it look like a real, real blowout. I don't think that was the case, but it almost doesn't matter because I think the story is just like, it was a game that Georgia State could have snuck away with, even if they weren't fully deserving of it all 60 minutes. Yeah, um, you know, I, it was it was great to be back. Uh, I did get to see this game in person. Um, it was uh, definitely a weird atmosphere. Um, I could say weird in a good way, just because obviously, you know, we used to do band there, and you know, that was the first game I had been to since we did the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, and- like, why do you think me and Jordan are not like fanning? We don't know how to do it. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like what you said about the disappointment um, from as, as far as the result, because, you know, if you divorce how the actual game went, there was always going to be some sort of, you know, deflation, regardless of how this game ended up going. Um, you know, I think I, I think that Georgia State shot themselves in a foot. If you if I start actually talking about the game, Um 
And, you know, to be a little corny, I really think that Troy just looked like a team with championship experience. You know, I think Troy did a lot of things to help themselves out. They, you know, took advantage of the mistakes that Georgia State made. Um, And then they just, you know, I, I just thought that Troy played a brand of football that we've seen Georgia State play this year to four other opponents, you know, I think that was really the deciding factor for me specifically. Um, There were times where Georgia state had their opportunities. You know, it's not like it's, and I I believe I said this to the people who I was with, you know, there's a chance here. I said something to the effect of there's a chance here for Georgia state to show whether or not this is the 2022 team or the 2023 team. And I, and I don't say that to say that the rest of the season is a wash because, you know, you know, they're going to let this get to them and blah, blah, blah. But no, I think, you know, we talked about it all off season, a hallmark of the 2022 team was not being able to get off the field in critical moments on defense. It was the offense, you know, having the ability to move the ball, but not being able to get that final punch. And those are things that the 2023 team did. Um, And credit Troy, you know, I think Troy did a really good job defensively on Georgia state. Um, You know, they, that defensive line for Troy was what Georgia state did to some of the other teams that they've played, you know, to be frank, Um, you know, if you look at the final lines for the, for some of the Georgia state's players, like you really, Georgia state really had to work for, you know, I think they had a hundred and something yards on the ground, 105. Um, Yeah. They had to work for that. Marcus Carroll had to work for his 75. You know, I thought Darren ran pretty well. Um, you know, and then receiving shout out Robert Lewis, man. Robert Lewis really, really tried um, to get he Georgia had, State in the end zone. He, he had a two, great game. He had the two plays over 20 yards for the team, which tells you kind of the story for the offense is that the explosiveness that they'd had so far wasn't there in this game. But for a few instances, there was another one that happened that didn't count that I'm going to get into it at some point when we talk about the offense. But yeah, the, Lewis was the only one who made those like splashy plays that have been kind of a hallmark of this team through now September. He was very, very close to having a third, um, but it took a an incredible defensive play um, and some mild contact, but it was fine. It, it, it was not pass interference uh, to prevent him from a long catch down the sidelines. Um, I think that was in the early part of the fourth quarter on their drive there. So... You know, like you said, it was disappointing. Um, you know, they're four and one. They're now one and one in conference play. Um, but as I've kind of settled on it, and maybe this is just because it's the bye week, I have landed on it's fine more than I'm worried about anything. And I like I, I don't know that. Th- oh, other teams are just going to implement what Troy did. Well, I mean, yeah, they're going to try, but at the end of the day, Georgia State is also still good. You know, we think so. Yeah, I mean, the story can partly be this might have been Troy kind of refining it because they'd gone through the muck a little bit. They didn't look great against their FCS team. They obviously took it on the chin against Kansas State, who's very good. Uh, it felt like the Western Kentucky game in hindsight might have been the game where they felt like they really unlocked some stuff, especially on defense. And that kind of bore out in this game as well. And I guess my way of looking at it, and I guess this is cheating a little bit ahead to the next thing we're going to do, looking back at this first five games. Like, if you told me Georgia State was 4-1 and one, and this was the loss, I'd buy that. 
and I wouldn't. It probably wouldn't affect how I would think about the rest of the season because Troy's good. Troy was the best team in the Sun Belt last year. They've still got the same very good coach who probably won't be at Troy that much longer. But uh, while he's there, they're going to have some really really competent defenses. Um, I think it'd be different if you won this game and then lost the Rhode Island game or to UConn or to Charlotte. Like I, I do think that while in the moment, definitely opportunities left slipped away, yada yada, all the rest of it. This at least was a good team that you lost to. And it's a good team you lost to by playing pretty bad by your standard. And like that's where I think I'll dive in with the offense is like, I'll admit it, on the last pod when we were talking about this game, I was talking about I don't see the turnovers going against Georgia State because I, there's nothing that we have seen on this team that tells you that they're going to have. And I think I literally said three turnovers. Um, so I guess I kind of spoke it into existence, but I, I still stand by that. Like Darren didn't have a great night around the turnovers anyway, but the, the two turnovers definitely downgraded it, especially. And, you know, the two, it was one, he kind of got hit on as he threw on the first one in the end zone, but it was an underthrow throwaway that if he just launches it, launches it just like into like the load sections right there, Liam Rickman probably makes it a three, nothing game at that point. Uh, I talked about the second one earlier, just not very good. Uh, just, either just didn't see the guy there or just way under through or both of them. Like that wasn't something we could have predicted because so far you had seen a totally different Darren Granger. And it's not a Darren Granger we've seen very often. Like that's why he won the starting job in 2021 is that he took care of the ball exceptionally well. And so. And I, I want to reiterate that point specifically because watching, but I felt it while being there and I felt it rewatching the game. Those two throws, those interceptions, were bad decisions and underthrows. I I could see what he was going for and what his thinking was on both. Um, he was trying to throw it. It looked like he was trying to throw it away on the first one, underthrew it, like you said. On the second one, he was trying to get, uh, I believe it was Talik, Tyleek going to the sidelines. Yeah, it was. And he, um, he, he underthrew it. Five yards more. Exactly. I, I think he also, there was a guy over the top of Tyleek. And I think that there was. probably what was going through his head was, I don't want to throw this too hard. I want to thread the needle here. I don't want to overthrow to it possibly being a pick for that guy and just overcooked it. And I mean, the thing is, is we're at 134 passes for Darren over the, over this full season. Have you seen a ton of passes this year that have looked like that? I don't, I don't think so. The one we talked about last week against coastal, he threw one at a defender and that's the only one. Maybe there's a couple more that were, kind of turnover worthy dangerous throws but he has avoided it and it's been something that he has avoided most of the time in his georgia state career and so like marshall when they play them after the bye another good defense another defense that you know i think they had like an 85 yard pick six against old dominion in their last game it's gonna test him again but especially having gone through this i mean i don't think that like okay, they played the first good defense and that's what Darren Granger turns into. Like, I don't think this is him turning into a pumpkin. I think he just had two off throws. And the other part of it with the passing game is you mentioned the one to Lewis that was almost a catch. Uh, there was another one was 15-1 yarder. It would have been the longest of the night, Tyleek Williams. Uh, believe that was on the drive when it was 13-7. So this would have been still driving to take the lead. Got called back on an eligible ineligible player downfield penalty on Jonathan Brown, which he like immediately recognized and was like, crap. Um, the deep stuff wasn't there. 
like they hit on some underneath stuff. Uh, they tried some other underneath stuff that just did not work. And I will circle back to the empty set of this all and how it was just a total reversal of the start of the season, Georgia state's offense. But that was the difference I think, because Troy was definitely not going to give up anything in the run. They were definitely aware of Darren's presence and just the fact that that's what Georgia state wanted to do. And so they got some opportunities on, on the outside in single coverage and just whether it was that penalty, whether it was the throw just being a little bit not far enough, whether it was a good defensive play, they just didn't hit on enough of those. And that's what's really like moved the offense in waves in September. I will say too, it wasn't the part of it that was the dupe stuff wasn't there. I mean, this has, that, that was probably the roughest offensive line performance we've seen all year. Um, and I think that was very reminiscent of the James Madison game last year, specifically in the second half, where just Darren had no time to really do anything. Um, you on, know. on a lesser scale, it wasn't that. Like, that was it, I mean, it, the Marshall it, game, he got sacked an entire series, and it wasn't that bad. It, it wasn't that they were getting home. It was just they were very quickly having to keep him on a one-read schedule, and it didn't allow him to break contain like we are normally used to him seeing. Like, Darren is not a guy who is going to go through one read and then, bam, he's scrambling. He, no, he's going to go through his progressions. He'll sit there to whatever the drop-back number is, and then he'll finally – you know, kind of bail and go around the tackles if he has to, you know, to pick up some positive yards. And a lot of times he would get the ball and he would have basically that one read and then he would have to at least move or shift. And it kind of took away a little bit of the secondary stuff and the improv that we've seen out of him this year. You know, it's not like he was on the ground a ton of times. No, Troy officially only had one sack. Um, but at the same time, though, it definitely felt like Troy was was at least making it difficult for Darren to step up immediately in the pocket. Um, and I think that's that to me was what their game plan was on the stuff that was intermediate and shallow. You know, they were doing a lot of, you know, trying to get guys in space, trying to get the ball out quickly, which, you know, against the defensive line, that's tough. Like, that's what you want to do. Um, And it just seemed like they couldn't hold up long enough to really let, you know, let the tight ends get out there and block, let some of the other wide receivers get out there and block. And then, you know, on the flip side, the receivers just couldn't make guys miss when they did get the ball in space sometimes. Um, and you know, they just weren't able to effectively move the ball, um, when they, when they had the opportunities to, but then conversely on the touchdown drive and then the drive where they fumbled at the, I believe the two yard line, you did see some of the, you know, Troy went single coverage and you did see some of the connection that they had, um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating. It, it, this, the final score is not indicative of how I felt Georgia state did. Um, you know, they only had, they had, it was an under 300 yard moving the ball day, but when you have three turnovers like that, that's probably going to happen. Yeah. I guess I'll do the empty set stuff here. I mean, I've been putting out on Twitter every week, like, Oh, look, here's another time where the, the defense just didn't have enough numbers in the box and it was easy. Troy had at least one or two guys very aware when they went empty, they were signaling to each other. They were moving in. And as he's there, you know, the way the offense works, he's got a run play and a pass play. And with empty, obviously what the run play is, he was checking to the pass play every time because he didn't ever get the look like this is where I'm going to take off. 
I've got it up the middle because he never did. And this is where it gets into a little bit of just like what the secondary option was because I don't think the perimeter screen game is it. And what I really don't think is it is the perimeter screen game where it goes to, say, Kadarius Thompson instead of Tyleek. Like, I don't know what's got to change there. Like, I, I know what the purpose of that screen is. And they've hit some deep shots off of having that screen because it's something you make that corner account for. And they have to know that's in the you know possibilities. And therefore, you have to call it every once and again. But having the larger wide receiver who's less shifty in space be the one catching it, I think is not at all going to be a productive thing. I think you've got to switch something up there. And the the final numbers were they went empty from my count of rewatching the game, 11 plays. They got 19 yards. They were five of seven passing, but for four yards total. And that's because two of those screens, one to Tyleek, one to Kadarius, went for a loss of four. There was absolutely nowhere to go. Defender was right there as soon as the guy caught it and just got blown up and set the drives back. Um, and then one of those empty plays was the uh, the interception that Granger threw the second one. Um, I just think that Troy saw in the film something that really killed the teams that Georgia State had played before, and they had an answer. And not only did they have the answer, they had the personnel to go out and do something about it. And I think where I would caution people getting too worried is that I don't know how many more teams on the schedule have both. Obviously, this is tape that they've put on to where everyone's going to look and see, man, Georgia State put up 30 on everyone else they played this season, and Troy only let them score seven. What did they do? So the secret's not going to be a secret for much longer, but I do think that there's a piece of this that it's like Troy might be the only or one of the only teams that Georgia State's going to play the rest of the season who could do this. They just happen to do it on the night and they kind of dictated things because this is the number that I also wanted to look for as soon as the game was over and I was rewatching Georgia state's average third down distance was 7.6 yards, which is not a terrible number, but it is a terrible number when you're doing what Georgia state wants to do on offense. Some of it was because of penalties. Some of it was because of those negative plays, but it all came together to mean they were behind schedule a lot. And this isn't a defense you can get behind schedule against and get away with it. And that's what we saw. I wonder on those screens, because a lot of them, they felt like they were across the hashes. I wonder if that's where Cradle was filling a role. And if he was out there instead of Thompson, if that would have been better for Georgia State. I I will say this is not a new thought for me. The Cradle has been the recipient of those screens as well. And I've like kind of been like, "Eh, I don't know about that. So it's not new just because of this game. I just maybe haven't mentioned it because it hasn't factored in yet. But this is a game where it factored in because I think that probably the way Troy looked at it is like, if that's what they're going to show us and that's what we're going to do instead of Darren running, we take that a thousand times out of a hundred. Like that is not a play that they're going to get beat on. They maybe get some yards back, but. I just I, I don't see that being a winner all that often. I mean, yeah, the, you know, you've really got to make sure that the guy who catches the ball can at least make that first man miss. Um, and and I, I wonder if being behind the sticks is also a contributing factor to how poorly it looked, because it, it definitely felt like they were doing it on early downs. And then you're in second and like 12. And it's like, well, now you've completely eliminated running the ball effectively. 
out of, you know, you can't really run your offense and it just kind of lets the defensive line for Troy, you know, put their ears back and just kind of go. So, yeah, definitely not as effective as we've seen it be in the past. And that's not me dissing screens. I think a screen pass and like, well, one of these got blown up against Troy, but like a quick screen to the slot of Tyleek, like that's been going dynamite this year. Like I am not saying all screen passes are created equal. Carroll caught a good screen. Yeah, and uh, that's the other thing. Like the last couple of weeks, they've been using him out of the backfield a lot more. And that is a real positive I have gotten from the last two games is like Carroll's obviously a weapon when he carries it 22 times a game because he's going to pop one most games. But he's absolutely, I mean, as many times as we've seen Georgia State get caught by slip screens, they slipped one by Troy and he got a pretty big gain out of it and moved the chains on a, a third and one of the third and longs that they got away with it against this Troy defense. Um, that's been an encouraging thing. Maybe the encouraging thing from the offensive performance. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, we've covered it pretty pretty fully, I'd say. I mean, it doesn't get any easier to the next opponent because Marshall has maybe got a better defense, at least got a comparable defense to Troy. Um, offense might just have to regroup a little bit in the bye. That's what bye weeks are for, you know? I mean... Look, a big part of football is making adjustments, you know, and I think Georgia State, we've seen Georgia State still be a solid team. Um, Unfortunately for them, they are facing a team after the bye that has more sacks than Troy did. Um, Troy's at the bottom of the conference in sacks. So, you know, it's not going to get any easier for the offensive line. Like, you know, I, I know that it's, it's so coach speaky to say that the offensive line really kind of, makes the offense but to a degree it you really see it like that that is one of the most important position groups to have stability and to have success you know we didn't really talk about the fumble um the fumble for darren but the entire time after the game i i thought that it was just you know darren made a bad read he made a bad flip or because the previous play the snap was a little funky no you want to know what happened on the fumble the nose guard just pushed back avery reese and got a hand on the football which is not something that should happen on a play right there you know and i'm not i don't say this to you know get all on reese's case i think you know reese has done a good job this season um but it, it just really goes to show when the offensive line is leaking at all just how much harder it is to play good quarterback in college football yeah, and I mean, that's the sequence we didn't really touch on. Um, I guess there's a whole branch of like replay review at, or lack thereof. And like lots of both teams probably have a good gripe that the the replay officials just blew a call that did not go in their favor. And that's a problem. Um, don't know what the issue was there. But the third one of those was the one where there wasn't a replay. Robert Lewis gives us a catch that initially is called a touchdown in the stadium. Then as the referees huddle, they say he was down. And if you look at the replay, he does like, he he doesn't step out at first, but then his heel comes down out of bounds before he stretches. So it wasn't a touchdown. That was correct. But what happened at that point, it felt like the Georgia State sideline wanted a review, and it seemed like they were maybe holding out for one. The consequence of that was that first down play down at the one was kind of a mess. And Carroll was pretty lucky to get back to the line for no gain because the line kind of got folded there. He had nowhere to go. Second down, this is the other weird thing with the way everything was set up is like, I don't know why you went to under center there and did like 
this the speed option thing because one you've got a speed option look out of the shotgun it's what you do and like when you're a shotgun team and you go under center bad things happen and like you're right that a guy made a play in that situation and i also think that it was there like if the the hand the the exchange is clean carol probably has the edge there to get the touchdown but on second down at the one or one and a half whatever it was you maybe need to break that out on third down, but I think you had another down to just run inside zone and just see if you win up there or, you know, do a read option look and Darren maybe trots in the end zone untouched. That was another weird just decision thing. Just It, it must've been something they reps like as a counter, like as a let's get up the line and show them a new look that they're not ready for. But the issue with times like that is when it goes wrong and it just, it was another weird moment. Everything just felt like, it got out of sync from the point of that not being a touchdown and the flow never recovered. And it cost them because that was, there were like eight minutes left. They get a touchdown there. They're still going to have to get a stop and they're still going to have to get the ball back and do it again. But it's 21, 14. You you're at home. You're feeling a little bit of momentum after never having it the entire second half. That play basically killed the game. And and you also you also probably feel better like your defense feels better with the okay we're about to kick off the offense just you know gave us a lift we just have to defend seven points now there's eight minutes we have three timeouts like I mean it just completely changes the situational football aspect of it yeah and you know I guess I'm out of offense things I think we might have more in the the bye week I guess but. I want to say it's a, it's a one-off, you know, they can play better than that. They've played cleaner than that. And it, that that's why I say like, I'm not so much worried about it yet because it, there was enough of it that was Troy that you have to give them credit for, but there was another part of it that was totally correctable. And so if you're worried about it, like I can't tell you not to be scoring seven points is never fun, but I think a lot of it's correctable. The other thing that I took from this game, and this is like the second little piece that I took in my post-game piece, my gamer, like the defense gave the offense every chance, basically until that last drive where, okay, they let Troy kind of go the length of the field and kill it off with that touchdown in the final 10 seconds. But that was still kind of the offense is doing with that fumble. Um, But it was a 7-6 game at half, Georgia State leading because the defense came up with two stops in the red zone or at or near the red zone forcing Troy to kick some field goals. I talked about it earlier with the interception, giving George uh, Troy the ball, the Georgia state 25, like that's an awful place to put your defense in, but they forced another field goal and this time he missed it and it kept it a one score game. They gave up one 45 yard touchdown run where they lost contain on the back, the outside, like Gavin Pringle, maybe got a little bit caught looking in the backfield, just got cut out of position and the back, just tore down the sideline. If you take that play out, 34 rushes for Troy, 109 yards, 3.2 yards per carry. The number itself, 154 rushing yards, like you take that probably against a team with Kamani Vidal, who's really good. But if you just remove that one, like the down to down, they handled the rush attack of Troy. The one issue that I think you can point to, they didn't sack Gunnar Watson, who's not particularly mobile. And the offensive line for them was not what we thought of as like the strength of their team. And only one quarterback hurry. And so I think the issue, if you have to have one with the defense, is they just were not disruptive. And in a game that was like crying out for the defense to 
if they didn't get a defensive touchdown, just get a big momentum play that sets the offense up in good territory. They kind of needed that, especially as it got in the second half and Troy started getting a foothold in the game and it, it never came. But it's hard for me to like call them out for it or make it a big deal when I feel like the offense is who was the one putting the team overall a little bit behind the eight ball. I both agree and I disagree. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I. Troy had a really good offensive game plan um, for the purposes of my discussion. Let's say that that last the game was already decided when they got that last touchdown. So let's, you know, remove that. Um. The offense for Georgia State put Troy in a put their put Georgia State's defense in a very difficult spot. Anytime you turn the ball over three times, especially in the ways that Georgia State did, it really puts you in a bad position. They turned it over in the red zone twice. The first pick, the fumble at the goal line. Um, the second interception, like you said, was an incredibly short field, and the defense didn't give up any points. Um, at some point, the field goal luck is going to switch, no, but, but here's the for thing. now, they field still... goal luck is a, a thing. Like, if you're making a college kicker kick a field goal, it's a total win because there's absolutely no guarantee. It is so volatile with college kickers. It certainly is. Um, and here's here's the part that I'm I kind of go back and forth on before the final drive. Troy was three of 11 on third down. That's a 27% third down conversion rate. That's bad. That, that's, not, that's not where you want your offense to be. Troy did not do well on third down until the last drive. And it's frustrating because it's, it would be really simple to blame the defense. Like, oh, there was eight minutes left. You know, they just need to get a stop. And they, and they couldn't get a stop. Like, you're absolutely right. They couldn't get a stop. Um, but like we just said, what if they had gotten points on that previous drive? What if, you know, they were actually forced to defend a kickoff after a kickoff instead of having to defend still needing to get like, essentially what would need to happen is they'd need to get a stop right then and there. It's a seven 21 game. The offense would need to score, you know, medium quick. You'd obviously want to score quickly. Then there would either need to be an onside kick, depending on how fast the offense scored or the defense would need to get another stop just to be able to tie the game. You know, that's, I mean, that's asking a lot. And that's a defense that was already on the field a good bit longer than the offense was for the game. You know, you look at the 400 yards, give it a 410 that they gave up, 256 in the air, 154 on the ground. I mean, I think you're right. Like the lack of a sack definitely hurts the losing the turnover battle because you only got one. Obviously, getting one turnover is good. That definitely hurts. But conversely, for the entire first half, they kept Troy at bay to a significant margin. You know, Georgia State didn't really move the ball. Sorry, they struggled to get points in the first quarter. And then, you know, they got the touchdown in the second quarter. And the defense had only given up six points at that point. Two field goals, then they forced the punt, um, you know, and that was when Georgia State got their interception. I think for the first half, the defense was really good in a game where the offense clearly didn't have its A game. And, you know, that's 
that's not something that you're going to see in a stat sheet. And, you know, maybe that's cope. Maybe I'm, you know, looking to see the forest for the trees or whatever. But I think there were some individual poor defensive performances. You know, I did not love the off coverage game plan it really felt kind of reminiscent of last year's defense you know i think the stags defense this year has been you know notorious for how aggressive it is you know with their blitz calls their coverages the man that they've played and it really felt like they were just kind of giving they were kind of trying to keep troy in front of them and it it worked that they kept troy in front of them for the most part but essentially every route that a Troy receiver ran was just here. I'm just going to run into this wide open space right here and then get a couple extra yards. And, you know, when you get those chunk plays of like eight yards, nine yards, you know, that's how you get first downs. I mean, that was really all it was. Um, I don't know. Like, I I think you could repeat that game and the defense ends up with better numbers. Um, And I also want to give Troy credit, you know, the offensive line really just, they didn't do a good job. In their run, you know, I, I thought Georgia State was in the backfield a little bit on the runs, um, and you know, it, it took it took some hard running by you know Damian Taylor and Kimani Vidal to get the yards that they got. You know, credit to them that the, the, it was a really good back pair. But you know, coming into the game, Vidal was one of the best running backs in the country, and he averaged three yards a carry. You know, at, the defense did their job. They the defense did their job there. Uh, you know. Taylor, they kind of switched to Taylor and he was a little bit more effective, sure. Um, but the defense also, you know, they they were able to bottle up those guys in, in a way that I find to be very effective. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things that they need to clean up on the back end, um, you know, schematically or, you know, with their personnel. But I, I really don't think that the defense played all that poorly, especially because at the end of the day, like you said in the beginning here, they, they only gave up 28. You know, (laughs) like there wasn't a special team score to kind of hide the figure. But, you know, anytime you can give up 28 points in a college football game, it's not bad. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned, no, Bryce Brown did not play. He was not dressed out, Uh, just banged up from the Coastal game. By week coming in an opportune time. Uh, But Isaiah Guy, he started in his place on the outside. He missed a guy on a juke move on the first drive. And then after that, it was really solid where, you know, Chris Lewis, who's the receiver we hyped up ahead of the game, did not have a catch. He had one hit off his hands in the end zone, and there was another target down in the red zone that didn't get to him. I think John Trey Hunter got it at the line. But if you were to tell me that one of the starting corners was going to be out, I wouldn't have had holding their top receiver to no catches on the on the bingo card. So I do think that they weathered that in a way that it didn't factor in the result at all. Like Georgia state got beat by Troy and it was, that wasn't the reason why. And I think you did going into the game. If everyone knew that it would have been a real concern and it, it wasn't. And, you know, with Isaiah guy being a freshman, whenever bright is back is going to help the defense, but he looked good out there for a guy making his first start in his you know, second year in college against an, an experienced de- uh, offense on the other side with Troy and uh, General Watson, who feels like he's been their quarterback since like 2017 at this point. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I really struggle to, I don't really see the same thing you did because I saw them working in some blitzes. The blitzes just weren't getting home. You know, 
I think the last two games they've ran Gavin Pringle on a cornerback blitz or the last three games counting this one. And this was the first one where he didn't get home and get a sack on it. And Watson recognized it and threw to where he no longer was. And they got a first down out of it after a guy missed a tackle. There's another one where is a scramble drill from Watson after Venziao came around the outside on a blitz. And I think it was a third and short and he rolled to the left and avoided it and got it to the guy head of the sticks for the first down. And, I certainly saw blitzing and I just think that they just didn't get home. And so it was a matter of just not having the right thing dialed up or just not hitting the right blitz at the right time, whatever it was. The sack numbers, I don't think are where you'd want them to be for as much as the team is blitzed. And so that'll be something to work on for sure. Because I, I think the thing that you were trying to say, just making your argument for you is like the defense was fine, but they needed to be more than fine to win this game. And I agree. And I think we're going to have to see that type of performance because, you know, talking about Troy still only scored 28. I suspect this will not be the last game Georgia state plays this year where they're able to hold the opponent under 30. And the opponent is also able to hold Georgia state under 30 and every little score is going to count. And so getting that type of game-changing play from the defense certainly is a way to flip something in one of these tight games where the defenses are kind of leading the way. Yeah, I would say that's a succinct way to put what I was looking for. Um, and, I mean, and I mean, the aggression part, it wasn't blitzing. Like, you're right, they definitely blitz. Um, Watson did a good job of picking it up, slash, you know, getting the ball out early. It really felt like that final drive versus Charlotte last year, just where, you know, Georgia state called a good play and, you know, they got the ball out quickly, but it, it just also felt like some of the coverages in the secondary um, weren't what you would want. And now that you mentioned it, I do recall not seeing Brown. Um, so thank you for that. I don't know that I, I don't know that I acknowledge that um, like during the game, I could, Which, it was, it was hard a to be positive for guy. Uh, yes, it was a big positive for Guy. I think I saw him in, you know, I saw him rewatching it and I was like, oh, that dude made a play. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I think now that you say that, that is actually a big positive for him. So, you know, I'll be a little bit nicer to the defense than I initially was. All right. So all that being said, uh, Panthers have a bye week this Saturday. Going to enjoy sitting at home while everyone else is at playing on the field. But uh, yeah, four and one entering the bye week. First half uh, season thoughts. Yeah. A wise man on this podcast, like 15, 20 minutes ago, said what I was going to say. But I'll, I'll repeat it again, I guess, where I think you're comfortable being four and one. I think that is above the expectations, even though we knew the schedule was pretty soft and this is not going to be the same month, you know, to be eight and two, five more games down the road is going to take a lot because the, the quality stepped up with Troy and it's going to stay at about an 11 the rest of the way through. And that's just how it is. But I don't think that you can let just one game get away from the fact that this team showed you a lot in August and September that they had not shown hardly at all in 2022. And the people that they brought in to replace some key losses pretty much have stepped in and filled the exact role they needed to. You've got quarterback and Darren Granger, who even if you're going to downgrade him after this last week has been a top four quarterback in the conference so far. You've got Marcus Carroll, who there's like three or four backs in the Sun Belt who are just going crazy. 
So I, I don't know where you'd rate him, but he is one of them. And you can go back to having the type of offensive success you had when everything kind of goes to bet goes better together than it did in this game. And so like I was asked on Panther talk to give it a grade. And I, I said, it's an A, you know, I understand people are grading it as a B because this is the most recent result and like a lot of disappointment. And that this was your first real test and you definitely did not pass it with flying colors of any sort. But remembering where we were at this, like where we had no idea how we were going to think about this team heading in the year where we just really like a um, push for six wins. They're probably on the schedule. Like they're at four and one as a baseline. They're two wins away from getting to a bowl game heading into the bye week. And so I just think that you got to correct some stuff from this game, but I don't really think that the sentiment has really changed. And that's also the vibe I got from coach Elliott. And when we spoke to Gavin Pringle after the game, like, I was in those pressers last year after like the Charlotte game, after the coastal game where there was like a real sense of dejection, a sense of like what just happened. Like clearly the Charlotte game last year caught everyone off guard a a good bit. That hasn't, that wasn't the case after the Troy game. There was a lot of like, I think the line was so what now what that he said after the game to the players and then repeated to us in the media. And, you know, I, I just think that that is the difference is that they don't seem particularly shaken by this one game. And so I will take their cues and not be particularly shaken by this one game. Yeah, no, I mean, I, respectfully, uh, unless there's something that anybody can identify why this is anything lower than an A, I, I don't see how it could possibly be anything lower than an A. Today is October 4th. Georgia State needs to go one and six the rest of the way to not go to a bowl game. And hey, I'm knocking on wood. They absolutely could go one and six. But as we sit here today, do you really believe that they will go one and six? I don't. And I'm, I'm not guaranteeing a bowl game. I'm not guaranteeing any season result. But at the end of the day, we've seen a team that is capable of winning football games. We've seen what they look like when they are playing good football. And we've seen it more than once. I don't think losing to a team who, given where Troy was last year and given where people kind of expected them to be coming into this season, yeah, it's disappointing that there's no zero in the last column for Georgia State. It was fun. It was fun talking about, you know, them potentially receiving votes and something. And even if it was what it was yeah that's fun every team wants to go undefeated but not every team that goes undefeated wins things not every team that has a loss at some point in the regular season ends up winning things and at the end of the day the players just that's what the players want you know if the goals are you know we want to go to a bowl game and get to 10 wins and win the bowl game that's still ahead of them if the goals are they want to win the east and you know go to the Sunbelt Championship and win that. That's what the goals are. So, yeah, I understand it. It's also the bye week. You know, you're kind of sitting on that loss a little bit longer than you would otherwise. But no, to me, this is absolutely an A. And just kind of given where I was, you know, halfway through the summer, I didn't know what this team was going to be. They rattled off four wins at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the season. And like I just said, they have to win two more games to, you know, go to a bowl game. I didn't think they were a bowl team at this point in July. I'll admit I talked myself into it, you know, 
Jordan's got the vault <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in the TNP offices. Jordan's got the vault, but I had to convince myself that this was a bowl team. And so far they are playing way better than the expectations that I had for them coming into the summer. So yeah, this is absolutely an a, you know, and, and I say that also, again, it's October and I'm saying this, it's not like, Oh, we're getting into November and you know, they still need to get those two wins, you know, no, it's October. And we've seen Georgia State teams get better as seasons have gone on when they've had winning seasons. And if they have four wins or five wins when we're talking again in November, that's a disappointment. You know, like, it changes. This is going to happen where, okay, you're four and one, so what are you going to do this month? You know, that is still totally fair. And I'm not going to say it's an A if they're not already bowl eligible still in the East Hunt when we're entering November. But speaking of the East Hunt and going a little bit insider baseball with this, if you're going to lose one this conference games, losing to Troy, who the head-to-head doesn't matter at all for the purposes of winning the East, not the worst thing. It does give away kind of your freebie because sometimes teams win conference with undefeated record in you know 8-0 in Sunbelt play. Sometimes, a lot of the times, one-loss one teams can get there. And so Georgia State's still there. I honestly think... This year, and it was the case last year, whoever wins the East is going to represent the East with two losses. And part of that might be because James Madison can't go, and they might be the team kind of handing everyone else L's on the way to winning the East, quote-unquote, but not winning the East two years in a row. But like, I think that it's going to be a little bit of some cannibalization going on in the East, and other teams are going to drop games. And so, like you said, it's still in front of you because... You got your freebie. You probably don't want to lose another one, but I think that there's some losses awaiting other teams in the East and it's going to be a bit hectic kind of sorting it out. And uh, you're still right in there. And Georgia State hasn't been right in there in October for a while. All right. And one more thing this week before we get you out of here, let's take a bounce around the Sun Belt and take a look at how everyone else fared in this week of football. We already talked about Troy, Georgia State, 28-7. Nothing else needs to be said about that. But around the rest of the league, Louisiana traveled to Minnesota and fell to the Gophers 35-24. James Madison hosted South Alabama at home, beating the Jaguars 31-23. Arkansas State went up to Massachusetts and defeated UMass 52-28. Marshall hosted Old Dominion, beating the Monarchs 41-35. Georgia Southern hosted Coastal beat the uh, Chanticleers 38-28. Texas State traveled down to Hattiesburg, Mississippi and beat Southern Miss 50-36. And App State, with a walk-off 54-yard field goal, beats Yoel Monroe in Monroe by a score of 41-40. to So, gentlemen, thoughts on this week's Sunbelt games? Yeah, I told you guys there was no chance that was going to be a normal football game when App went down to Monroe. And, uh... I feel like walk-off 54-yarder says all that needs to be said there, but ah, app shaky. Like, it was a weird stretch. Like, no They're one so, would willingly so sign up for going from Wyoming to Monroe for a game, but, like, the, the defense gave up a lot of points and yards to a UOM offense where I don't think the strength of their team is, like, explosive offense. And so monitoring that situation – also monitoring the possibility that JMU is never going to be bad or lose games in the Sun Belt. Um, I can't figure out South Alabama. 
at this point, I'm settling on they're just like probably a full team, but not much more than that because. And it's also making me wonder just how bad our Oklahoma State is, but it just it, it felt like a team that was poised to really take that leap. It's the team I thought would be the best in the West, and they just can't get out of their own way. It seems, and they just it was an eight point loss at JMU, but it never really felt that close. Like they came back right at the end and almost had a shot, but they were down multiple scores for a long time in this game, and it just never really fought all the way into it. And this is the type of game that they were going to need to win uh, going forward. Um, again, I, I don't have anything more to add on this other than like Arkansas State super has a quarterback and he's a true freshman. Jalen Rayner's really good. UMass might not be all that great, but like they finally found their guy. I don't know if they're going to run the West, but they might make a bowl. Yeah. So Troy's played in two games. So looking at the Sunbelt standings right now, You've got Texas State at four and one and Arkansas State at three and two. Um, and I think coming into the year, that certainly would surprise people. Um, but you're right. Arkansas State has definitely figured something out on offense. Um, they started the year pretty poorly, admittedly, but Rayner has looked good the last few weeks and has and certainly settled things the guy down. Then. He wasn't. And I feel like, I don't know if it was ento- entirely like we don't want to put him out against Oklahoma and Memphis. But if that was part of the plan, absolute home run swing by Butch and his staff because true freshmen going into those environments, that might kill him no matter how talented he is. Just that's hard to come back from. So if they did kind of slow roll this because they knew they'd get some more winnable games, that's a masterstroke. And, I, you know, I feel bad for whoever it is took snaps in those games. Um, looked like JT, JT Shrout did. Um, God bless you. It, it, people were talking about the bad side of Arkansas State for a, a few weeks there, but they look better now. You know, they are about to continue their march into Sunbelt play. Um, I don't know that this is the easiest schedule, but I'm certainly circling that UL Monroe game because there's no way that one's going to be normal. Um, and that honestly no is going to be it's going to be like that Arkansas State Georgia State game from a few years ago that was on the Thursday that I, was it like a 52 yeah 59 52 there you go um and then you know lastly on Texas State I this team makes no sense to me they really don't um beating Baylor losing to UTSA you know it's scoring 77 against Jackson State and you know kind of looking good since then i really they were up 42 10 at the half in this game southern yeah. Miss had to claw back and almost did they had it cut to a six point game at one point but texas state saw it out dropped 50 doing so and now when everyone was talking about arkansas state and ulm i'm worried about southern miss just being pretty bad yeah I, you know and i think the the sad part is with some of the other bad teams in the Sun Belt. Well, sorry, with some of the te- other teams that we think are bad in the Sun Belt, um, they've at least had some some fun. You know, Wake Forest had to really kind of assert themselves against Old Dominion. Um, like Old Dominion really had to try. Um, I don't see any of that on Southern Miss's schedule. Um, you know, obviously Florida State being what they are. You know, and then there was the Tulane game that they kept it close-ish. Um, 
it's just it doesn't look great right now um and i mean it's not gonna get it's not gonna get any easier after this week they host old dominion and then they travel on the road to south alabama and then app state um i don't know it just it they doesn't this look one. great I, i'll tell you yeah that. they, they, they absolutely absolutely need this one <laughs> and the other look ahead spot i had for you know georgia state fans on by marshall is going to nc state it's on the cw network they've got a new thing they're doing with ACC games this year. So everyone should have it probably no matter what cable you have. I'm watching that one. Marshall might win. Like NC state has not looked great on offense this year. They kind of played the type of games that Marshall was comfortable playing. They're switching quarterbacks, which is always, you know, sometimes it snaps into perfectly what you're looking for. And sometimes it's, Oh, we just don't have a quarterback that's going to win us games this year. And it feels like a spot where Marshall could Move to the top of the standings of the ACC with a 2-0 and record because that already be Virginia Tech. And the other reason it's relevant to Georgia State is obviously that game is now ESPN 2, 7 p.m. kick on October 14th, big spot. Marshall's undefeated. I don't know that it's a guarantee that they're ranked, but if they go beat NC State on the road, like they could be. They're at least going to be receiving more votes than I think any Sunbelt team has so far this year at that spot. And so it'll be a moment where Georgia State's hosting a good team, a team that will have just beaten two ACC teams. But if they can get it done in 60 minutes in Atlanta, it would be a pretty marquee win and possibly another ranked win for Georgia State. Feels a mile away after the Troy game, but like you get a bye week to reset, everything could be fine. And if you get the exact same game like you did with the Troy game, I think everyone can expect that things could go better a second time. I think if it doesn't, then that'll be a real disappointment. For sure. You know, I, that is a good game to watch for this weekend. I, I think Marshall probably wins that game too. NC State can't run the ball. All right. And of course, we can't get you out of here this week without talking about everything going on in Georgia State athletics. So here we go. On Thursday, day of the release of this podcast, women's soccer heads to Hattiesburg, Mississippi to face Southern Miss at 5 p.m. And on Friday, volleyball heads up the mountain to boone north carolina to face app state at 6 p.m that match will be on espn plus saturday a bye week for the football panthers so there's plenty of opportunities for you to catch up on everyone else starting with volleyball at app state again and boone north carolina at 1 p.m on espn plus and softball heads up to knoxville tennessee for a doubleheader versus carson newman at 2 30 and tennessee at 5 p.m men's soccer finishing off saturday night in Huntington, West Virginia, to face the number one ranked Marshall Thundering Herd at 7.15 p.m. on ESPN+. Moving on to Sunday, women's soccer hosts Arkansas State at the GSU Soccer Complex at 1 p.m. That match will be broadcast on ESPN+. And then Monday and Tuesday, men's golf and women's golf both head out on the road for a two-day tournament each. Men's golf heading to Brooksville, Florida for the USF Intercollegiate and women's golf heading to Greensboro, North Carolina for the UNCG Intercollegiate. And then on Wednesday, women's soccer travels down I-16 to Statesboro to face Georgia Southern at 6 p.m. But that's everything in Georgia State Athletics this upcoming week. Get out there, support the Panthers, and we will see you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Have a great week, and go Panthers!